Welcome back to the What's Your Warmer podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris. We are back for episode 93 to talk a little bit about, you know, the CPI. The index came out this morning. And the reason we're going to tackle it today, and it's of relevance and is important, because obviously that's one of the Federal Reserve's form of measurement of tackling and winning the battle against inflation. You know, for many months now, we've been discussing for essentially almost a year now, the Federal Reserve's primary form of tackling inflation is raising the short-term interest rates and the impact that is involved in, in tightening the credit cycle and what that means to not only Wall Street, but all the way down to the consumer and at the banking level as well. And, you know, and I'll continue to say this, the definition of inflation the simplest and its purest definition is going to be too much money chasing too few of goods. And, and, you know, some of the comments we've had from online was, well, what do you mean too much money? Who has too much money? Well, when we say that, we're not necessarily referring to like people in general. We're talking about the monetary system itself and how much money is in the system. You know, and there's a lot of good arguments many of you have made online about, you know, uh, you know the, the amount of money that was pumped in over COVID prior to COVID. And, you know, listen, I just wanted to kind of set the record straight for you. I was sort of like, when I say administration, I'm not picking on a particular administration. Let's go all the way back and just go ahead and blame all the administrations pre or post Clinton. Because I mean, Clinton was the one that actually got a budget, you know, balanced and actually reduced the deficit. Since then, it's been spin, 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 spin. So I'm not necessarily pointing out one particular administration, you know, and I know there's a lot of people online that were, uh, you know, really kind of... Uh, pinpointing and, and trying to get that dialed in. And that, that's not what I'm saying there. And the reason I brought that up is because anytime you have a government that continues to spend money at a deficit, and let's face it, since the Clinton administration, that's what every presidential administration has done, whether it's been out of necessity or whether it's been out of other, you know, issues some of people referring to greed. I don't think it's greed necessarily. I think it's actually out of necessity and other, you know, programs require more money over time that maybe not have been allocated for that that requires spending, right? So at the end of the day, all of those administrations are overspending on our, the current budget, and that's a deficit. Anytime you have a deficit, you're putting more money into the system than it was originally there. And then you add into what happened with COVID, and a lot of the relief money that came in there compounded that effect. And that has led to inflation. And inflation didn't happen or start in 2023. Heck, it didn't even start in part of 22. It showed up late 21. It's just a lot of it was labeled as transitory, which we were told is temporary. And, and it's definitely not temporary. It's been around for some time. But the money that came, you know, and, and the question here, it came about in 2020 and 2021. We actually compounded that, you know, we being the, the government and the U.S. Treasury compounded that by adding more and more money into the financial system. So I just want to add a level of clarity to that. Now, remember, there's three types of inflation we talk about on this show. Number one is going to be the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. There's going to be the PCE, which is you know the federal the Federal Reserve's favorite form of, and that's a, and that's their favorite form of inflation. That's what they measure. They're always looking at the core reading of the uh, the PCE, and then there's the PPI, the Producer Price Index, and the uh, that is what it takes to make an item on the producer side, and then they pass the cost of that increase or inflationary costs down to the consumer. They absorb as much as they can, then they price it, excuse me, price it out and pass it down. So today the CPI came out, the consumer price index. And that is what consumers pay to buy an item versus PCE, which is per, uh, personal consumption uh, expenditures, which is uh, essentially what you're spending per month. So the price of the items is what we're going to focus on today. And so when we look at that, there's two two types of readings in every situation of, of inflationary indexes. There's the headline, there's the core. And so the headline reading 
uh, went up a little bit. And that's, I'm going to talk about why that went up a little bit, but the core reading went down and the core is really important because it takes out energy and food because those are considered so volatile. And the core is what's less volatile, if you may. And it went down. And even when the Federal Reserve is looking at the PCE, they're focusing on the core reading of the PCE. But Let's start with the headline. The headline went up ever so slightly. So, you know, you may see a headline that says, hey, inflation is up or it's stubborn or that it rose a little bit. It did, but it rose ever so slightly. And, you know, it rose to 3.7 or 3.7 over a year over year, you know, inflationary reading from 3.2. So it's up, but it's not, it's not drastically up. But the reason it's up is completely based on the energy sector. You know, shelter cost was down, and I'm going to get into what shelter cost is here in a minute. Food was down, which we haven't seen it like this and some, you know, we haven't seen these types of readings come in, but energy was up meaning your gas prices were up. Now, you may not be seeing that at the pump. Um, you may not be feeling that yet. You may be in certain areas. But something to think about gas prices that's interesting is that, <clears throat> we know, in the United States, we have what we call a strategic oil reserve. And the strategic oil reserve is exactly what it says it is. It's a reserve, you know, and it's there to be used in, you know, measures in which you can't get your hands on oil and or you can't produce any more oil. And what's interesting is that... Um, we have either A, sold, and, and me, it's a compound of what I'm about to say. We've sold some of those barrels, and we've used some of those barrels to reduce or subsidize the prices at the pump. You know, that, that was one of the major, major things in the State of the Union address that the president said that he wanted to do was keep ass prices low at the pump. And they have successfully done that. But you can only do that until you don't have any more reserves, and then that could present a problem. Well, we're at 20% of the reserves are left. So 80% of them are gone. I mean, as of Friday, the reading we got was 20% reserves left in that uh, strategic oil reserve category. So you got to think that uh, I think we're at a point now, I don't know exactly what that equates to, but I believe the statistic I read was that's about two days worth of oil. So what you're going to find is that we're probably going to stop, we being the government's going to stop subsidizing those prices at the pump and you're going to see prices go up. Matter of fact, post COVID, you're seeing oil prices per barrel are are already at at highs, you know, they're, they're way up. And so that's going to start reflecting sooner than later at the pump. And that's what's in this inflationary reading. That's why the headline was up. Now, as you get into food and you get into, um, you know, you get into food and you get into shelter, I kind of want to take a minute to break that down because I thought this was interesting. You know, I'll pull up a graph here um, that I have, and I believe I got this from, um, let's see, we got this from the New York Times. I'm pulling it up as I'm looking at it right now. And I think this was fantastic because this really breaks down. We'll put this in the show notes on our YouTube channel. If you want to tune in and subscribe at What's Your One More um, and subscribe to our channel, you'll get stuff like this that I'm talking about. But it shows the monthly changes in the August reading. Now, it's September 13th today you always get your inflationary readings in arrears. So this is August's reading. But kind of go through this. I mean, gasoline itself was up almost 11% on this monthly change. So you had a monthly change of 11% in gas. That was the number one. Number two was fuel. So you've got airlines that are going to be affected by that. You've got your drivers for your delivery services that are going to be impacted by that. That probably could mean higher costs in those area, ticket prices, uh, prices to ship items. You know, that's something to think about. Airlines were up 5%. So there's, that all this is going together. And then, you know, as we kind of make our way down, the only food item that was remotely up was meat and poultry and eggs. So that was all lumped together, by the way. It's meat, poultry, fish, and eggs. It was a 0.8, so it wasn't even up a full 1%. But as we come down in here, you can see that, you know, um, you've, there's other things that were negative. They actually went backwards on this. Um, uh, surprisingly, alcohol was unchanged. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but if you look at uh, fruits and vegetables, 
non-alcoholic beverages, dairy products, used cars and trucks, those all led the pack as going backwards, which means the prices you know, reflected to be coming down. Um, and I thought that that was interesting because, you know, it is showing a little bit of relief on there. Um, while lodging out, though, food away from home was up a little bit. So I'm going to put this graph in our um, in our YouTube channel where you can take a chance of that, or excuse me, take a look at that. If you would subscribe on there, uh, leave us a lot of commentary. You know, I've got some recent commentary on our YouTube channels that I thought was extremely interesting. I kind of wanted to bring up you know, as I'm typing here, our channel, because what was interesting about this to me is that uh, we put a couple of reels on here. I guess they're called YouTube shorts. And uh, the commentary and feedback we got on that was really fantastic and much appreciated on our end. There was one in particular here, though, that uh, this person left a comment that was just perfect for what we're talking about right now. And I told him, I was like, hey, man, I'm absolutely going to put this on here. So to kind of speak to this, some of this inflationary stuff that's going on, you know, th this person wrote that they, uh, they basically, over the last two to three years, have seen price hikes in just buying books. And this person said that they used to spend $30 to get a book shipped. They would get books shipped to them. It used to cost 30 bucks. Now that's costing $65 to get the same amount of books shipped to them that two years ago was 30. Well, that that's inflation in itself. It's also showing you fuel inflation costs. It's also showing you cost in wages going up. There's a lot of things built into that. Probably some you know additional profit, you know, profitability too. Many of you online described that you thought that was greed by the companies taking advantage of this inflationary you know process that we're in. That companies are just you know jacking their prices. I think I had one person on here argue the idea of price gouging that that was happening. And, uh, I believe they used, uh, you know, a couple examples on there and Hey guys, we hear you when you're writing stuff like this, like we are taking it and listening to it. That's why you're getting our feedback online. We're not ignoring that. We appreciate you guys putting that stuff on there. Um, but super interesting to hear you guys' opinion about what you're putting on our channels and how we can use it here later on the show. So appreciate, uh, that feedback as you're putting it on there. So Getting back to the inflationary side of things, you know, when we take a look at shelter and we take a look at what makes up uh, the consumer price index, I kind of want to break it down a little bit on here. So there's multiple things that go into it, but the largest reading, 50, excuse me, 47%, I believe it's 47%, no, excuse me, 43% of the CPI is shelter cost. And shelter cost is made up of three components, rent, owner equivalent of rent and the lodging away. Now we've gone over what all these things mean. So I'm going to briefly fly over them again, but rent is a, is a trend. It's they're reading a trend of rent and rent rolls and, and the rental costs. All right. And then uh, owner's equivalent of rent is essentially, again, where they pick up the phone and they go, Hey, you know, if I was calling my producer, Charlie, Hey, Charlie, what would you rent? He's a homeowner, right? He owns his home. Charlie, what would you rent your home for? And Charlie's going to go, well, I'd rent it for $2,000 a month. Okay. They write that down $2,000 a month. That's the owner's equivalent of what they think they would rent that home for. And then there's lodging away. Lodging away consists of Airbnbs, BBROs, hotel accommodations. That's when you're lodging away from home. So those components make up the shelter cost. Well, what was interesting about that is that shelter actually came down. And that was one of the things that, you know, our friends over at MBS Highway have been saying for a tremendous amount of time. You know, Dan Habib, he's been on the show a couple of times. Barry Habib's been on the show one time. They have been they have been saying this over and over again for those that will listen, that shelter cost is going to come down. That is a lagging read on shelter cost and that these rents that the Federal Reserve is looking at, they're, they're going to make a turn downward and the real-time rent raise is eventually going to show up and we're starting to see that. And uh, I guess the biggest wild card there was that lodging away, like, you know, hey, that that didn't expect to come in at the rate it didn't, which it did, because we've been burnt by that before. So it was kind of nice to see that uh, shelter helped us on this, you know, on this core reading here that uh, maybe we didn't expect. So shelter may have saved us on that one. 
Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. So now I want to jump back into the rest of the CPI index. We just got done talking about shelter. We just got done talking about uh, what is made up of the shelter cost. And now I want to get back in a little bit to what comprises of the rest of the consumer price index. And for the most part, it's going to be a combination of used cars, um, you know, motor vehicle insurance, energy, gasoline, and food and airline fares. And when I take a look at those things, Again, going back to our, our friends over at the MBS Highway, they do a great job breaking this down. And, and Dan Habib and Barry Habib is a team over there and, and their entire team do a great job of, of cracking these, these codes, you may, of, the, of the, uh, the CPI. But let's take a look at it here. One of the things that uh, I want to point out over there is that if I look at some of the biggest jumpers, and we talked about how energy was really, really the factor in this. And again, energy as a whole was darn near up 11% uh, from the previous reading. But if I look at it month over month, um, energy as a whole was up 5.6 month over month, and gasoline was up 10.6 month over month. And, and I know I spent the first portion of the show talking about a little bit about what I think about the strategic oil reserve and the prices of gas and what's going to happen. I do think that's going to show up there at the pump. And then food was up ever so slightly at 0.2%. Um, but the, the reality is, if you look at it year over year, gas has been down negative year over year at 3.3, negative 3.3. And I talked about that subsidizing at the pump and what's happening. It'll be interesting to see that this this reading that came in, this month over month reading was 10.6. And you had a negative 3.3 year over year. And so remember when we when these are measured, they're 12 month lagging indicators. So each month appear and you know to have a negative 3.3 gasoline reading, um, you're you're having negatives uh, on the actual um previous 11 months. It'll be interesting to see as those months are replaced month over month, what that does. And you could almost argue that that is going to be the new, I guess you could say the, the new thing that's going to impact inflation as we kind of move out of the, the shelter impact and more into that one, even though it doesn't have as big a weight as shelter on there. Um, so a couple of things here on, on, as, I, as I close out this episode on the CPI. So what does that mean? Is the Federal Reserve going to make a decision based on that core reading came down? What do you expect to see? You know, how does the bond market react to that? And what does that mean for our business? Well, it'll be very interesting because I think when Daniel was here for the uh, lending update. I think one of the things we talked about was the next step for the Federal Reserve. We talked about jobs and we talked about what the job readings meant and how the softening of the market and versus, you know, the stubbornness of the, of the jobs reports and how they're not really reliable right now. But what does this mean? You know, I, I said that I thought it was foregone conclusion the Federal Reserve would potentially do another rate hike going into uh, the upcoming FOMC meeting. And I think Daniel said, you know, there's a, there was a, a recent survey that was done that shows that it's almost 
90% assured that they're not going to. I'm going to stick with my original thought there that I think we see that quarter hike. I think it's already built in. I think it's coming. I don't think that needle on the CPI moved enough. Even though the CPI is not the major index they look at, we will get PC, uh, PPI coming out tomorrow and PCE coming on later on in the month. But I do think they go ahead and raise the quarter. I think it's built in. I think it's a foregone conclusion. I still stand by what I said. I think that's the last one on the year. I think that's the one that they have left on the year. And I think as we move into the end of the year, that's when we're going to start to see um, maybe some some relief in the form of the reduction of the Fed funds rate. And, you know, probably won't see that until maybe like in the late first, second quarter. And what's interesting is these mortgage rates will start falling before that happens. Um, and, and we've talked about before the disparity between the 10-year treasury and the actual mortgage market itself that gap that's there should only be, you know, very minimal and it's, it's almost double what it should be. And so that differential is going to fall off first. And that's when we'll see some relief in the mortgage rate market. And for those that are prospective home buyers, you know, wait, wait it out as far as going ahead and waiting on those rates and hopefully it cooperates for you. And, you know, the price points on the homes don't move too much for you there um, because we are still seeing those go out because interestingly enough, you know, what came out, core logic, and then all of a sudden, we're seeing home appreciation and values continue to go up. And I continue to ask myself, how can those continue to go up in a market where interest rates are, quote unquote, probably at 20-year highs? And I got in a very spirited debate yesterday uh, with the person that hired me to come into this business years ago. And we were talking about... Um, his, his assumption that, hey, I don't know how much further we can go. I mean, these home prices are going to actually have to drop. And I said, well, what makes you think that? Like, I'd, I'd love to hear this side of the coin, you know, because, you know, I value your opinion. You've been around much longer than I have in the industry. Why do you think that? And his, his response to that was this. He said, well, you know, I just don't know affordability, like how much further these home prices can go. This is they're going to have to give. I mean, if these sellers, you know, if they're going to sell their properties, they're going to have to start lowering them. And I said, well, that's just it these sellers don't have to sell their properties. I mean, the sellers are not enticed in any way to sell their property to go from, you know, let's say a 2.5 or a 3.5, 4.5, 5.5, you, you get the picture. They're not enticed. Why on earth would they want to get rid of that lower interest rate and go take a higher interest rate on a home they have plenty of equity on? They're already comfortable with the payment. You know, there has to be a need for them to want to sell. And that need would have to be something like, I don't know, a divorce situation or a situation where, you know, uh, the household formation has grown so big that they can't live in the house. Like those are going to be far and few between for the majority, the massive majority of the people, they're going to stay put and stay just comfortable. They're not going to be forced to sell that property and much less say, well, you know what? I'm going to discount it just so I can sell it and move it. That That's not a situation that's going to happen when they have those lower interest rates. And that too is a portion of the lock-in effect. And so you're kind of seeing this standoff happen. And what's going to have to happen to get them to move is those rates are going to have to come down, which is actually the complete opposite of the, the, the conversation we were having. And after we got through it, at the end of the conversation, he said, I, I never even thought of it like that. Like I honestly, you got a great point because the only reason they would want to sell is if there was a need. It's not not a have to at this point. And that's a big difference between now and what was taking place in 08. I mean, there's numerous differences, but in this conversation, that was one of the major differences we were tackling. So uh, I definitely enjoyed that and thought I would share that with our audience today. Guys, if you like what you're hearing, uh, please share this podcast. Uh, you know, we, we would love to get more comments on our actual podcast through Apple and Spotify. If you would, five-star review it and leave a comment. That would mean a lot to us. You guys are doing a great job really letting us know exactly what you think and what we should work on there on the YouTube channels and on our socials at What's Your One More. Um, you guys are absolutely killing it. So we appreciate all the comments, all the feedback. And uh, again, uh, just if you could start leaving some of those comments for us on the Apple podcast or on Spotify, Google, Amazon, any of those podcast platforms, that'd be fantastic.
guys, till next time. I uh, hope you guys like what you're hearing and we'll see you back at what you want more. I got one more shot. I'm going to make it one more chance. I'm going to take it. I meant it when I said it. Now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live. So I put all into it. Yeah.